0: Welcome to the Conduit Deeper Podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series, from current events to fascinating finds, to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, Executive Pastor at Conduit Church. Join each and every week with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler, and... We are launching a new series, a new sermon series. We may have taken a couple of weeks off, uh, but that was to really get prepared for this next sermon series. Which, gotta be honest, we're diving in a little bit deeper. I know this is called the Deeper Podcast, and <laughs> I think we're kind of li- going to live up to the name of it right now. Yeah, I felt like honestly we kind of dipped into it Sunday. Like, like, oh man, I think we just went to the Deeper Podcast. Yes, on a Sunday. And this particular series is going to take us through the Book of Romans. Uh, which is not an easy read, per se. Uh, It's not like, I don't know, Psalms. (laughs) This is very theologically robust. Um, And it's called What's True About You. If you remember a couple of series ago, we did What's True About God. And it was looking through the eyes of Joseph and his story. And then we did Essential Church, which we just came off of. And this kind of dovetails off of essential church in some ways, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But now it's, what's true about you? What? Where did that come from? What made you think of uh, maybe diving into Romans? You know,
1: uh, I mean, Romans is, I mean, it's kind of a joke, but it's really true. It's like a theological chiropractic uh, adjustment. Because if you've got any sort of uh, crazy theology, it pops it back into place, which are you a chiropractor guy? I am. Yeah. So that feeling like when he hits your neck or mm. she hits your neck and you think he just, cause in the movie that's how they kill people. <laughs> right. In the movie that's when they die. But so you're like, you know, Oh God, I'm not dead. But then you feel like amazing. Like the yeah. seconds right after that pop, like to me, that was Romans for me. And I felt like at a time in a culture right now where truth is on, um, under attack that, It was just time to go to the book of Romans, especially, by the way, when you talk about truth being under attack, you can look online right now. And and this happens all the time when you talk about progressive theologians. And I use that word extremely loosely. um, They'll actually uh, they attack Paul pretty quickly in it um, because Paul is the one that addresses uh, homosexuality. He addresses gender. He, he addresses these things. So they, they tend to would attack Paul. Now, the problem with attacking Paul on those issues is it's also Paul that taught us that we are saved by grace through uh, faith, not through works, right? That we are new creations in Christ, that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. That's all Romans. So to throw him completely out, you literally throw out. Not you know, Jesus spoke of of salvation by uh, believing in me. Like that's definitely Jesus' language. But Paul came along after encountering Jesus and clarified what that means. So you know, uh, people that get angry at Paul, I'm like, man, be careful because like you can find yourself right back under Judaism or religion again, um, earning your salvation. But that, to me, that was what we needed to go there. Like that was, I felt like. Uh, it, again, truth is under attack. What we need is truth, and especially when theology is under attack, uh, Christianity is under attack. That the Book of Romans uh, it, it lays it out there as clear as as clear as day. Does it answer the question, what's true about humanity? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is kind of a big question these days. Yeah, I mean, um, it's everywhere.
0: It's, right? It's on it's on late night news. It's on podcasts. Yeah, think <laughs> the, tanks. Yeah, the question, is man good or bad? Or is
1: mankind inherently good or evil? Um, And I've heard it said, I think I shared it on Sunday, but the answer to that question, you can actually tell the difference for the most part between a progressive and a conservative uh, because a a progressive would say that men, that mankind, they wouldn't say man because that would be, you know. know,
0: Offensive. Offensive.
1: Uh, But humans are inherently good and all we have to do is like adjust and destroy or whatever, tear down the systems and then we'll be okay because it's the systems that are bad.
0: Because we're progressing.
1: Yeah. Uh, when you come to conservatives, they technically will say that it's personal responsibility, that we're not inherently good, so we have to work on ourselves and make ourselves better, and that will make the systems better. Um, so on, on a purely secularly human level, that's the basic difference between conservative and uh, and, and progressive. But neither of those fit perfectly in scripture because both of them, like, um, so like a conservative might have the right answer that, hey, you know, humans were not inherently good. But their response is, well, we'll just need to try harder and work more. Nothing wrong with working and trying whatever. But if you listen to Jordan Peterson closely, that's literally his answer to everything is just work your butt off. Just be better. Yeah. So you make your bed to do you know, his 12 rules for life, right? You know, nothing bad about any of that stuff. But you're still not going to make your bed some days. You're still going to blow it. You're still, so you're not going to save yourself doing those things. So at, at the end of the day, Romans does answer the question. And you can't even get out of chapter one without the answer to that question, which is that, yeah, mankind, uh, we are inherently not good. We do. Uh, <laughs> we, it's like when you hear somebody say specifically that mankind is good and that we are getting better, that we're evolving for the better, Like, it is a demonstrably false premise. Like, you can look at the globe right now, and I I have heard people make the case that uh, we have less war now, one of the things that you'll hear. But the fact of the matter is, uh, when you look at the way, whether it's China, whether it is Asia uh, countries, there are more slaves alive today than there are ever in the history of the world, 4.5 million. So we're already failing at that metric. When you're looking at uh, the amount of people that live in poverty they'll say well that number's gotten smaller but the number that they go off of is two dollars a day like if you have if you make less than two dollars a day or two dollars a day or more like that's the line of poverty so let's say you're making three dollars a day technically you don't show up on the extreme poverty uh scale right but i assure you that's still not enough right right that's a hundred dollars a month that's just not enough so it's a demonstrably false idea that mankind is getting better.
0: Well, and um, who's defining what war means? I mean, if it's defined yeah. by bloodshed, that's one thing. Uh-huh. But if it's a culture war, an information war, an ideological war, we are in the thick of those wars.
1: 100%. I mean, you don't even have to get i mean, out of hardly the United States. But just when you pop into the Middle East and the stuff that's happening there right now, those are t- tribal nations— with uh, borders you know, written by uh, politicians from World War Two, and I got to tell you, if you're if you're if you're the Kurdish people, you're not really that concerned where Churchill wanted your ballot. You know, your line. Right. You're like, I want my land back. Turkey wants their land back. I mean, this is literally hanging on by a thread. Again, at the at the core of it all, mankind is is not been demonstrably good and inherently good. And the difference, of course, and this is why Romans is so stinking important is that whether it's government, personal, scientific, whatever, we tend to go towards the behavior modification. So if you, if you don't line up with the definition of good, then we're going to force you to change. To be uh, good. To be good, yeah. So it's either through physical force, through marginalization, through shaming, through... It's everything we're experiencing right now, whether it's with the vaccine, masking, uh, the, the lockdowns, like there's these, these lines in the sand, and if you don't obey them, then you are marginalized and shamed. And whether you agree with the policy or not, the, the, the tactic of shaming and marginalization is what happens. And so when it comes to religion, we say these are the behaviors we want. And if you're not going to do that, then what do we do? And of course, that means we're going to force you to. We're going to, we're going to shame you. We're going to cut you off. We're to, all those things. But the gospel doesn't do that. The gospel says, no, I want to transform you from the inside out. That's the message of Romans is that man is inherently evil, but because of the work of Christ, that's your salvation because he is the one that took our punishment. He's the one that took, because, you know, when you've sinned, when you've, like, I've lied to somebody, I've cheated, I've, you know, that, I can't take that back. Yeah. You know, and we try to monetize it in our system. So somebody, uh, you know, whatever crashes your car and injures you. And now you're walking with a limp the rest of your life or you're in a wheelchair. You can sue them financially, but you're still not walking. Yeah. Like the crime is not paid for technically. Right. And that's true of any sin that we commit, whether it's pornography, whether it is lying or cheating, like the sin is out there and I can't pay for that. Somebody has to. And so, the gospel was that Christ himself would come, that he would, as a perfect human, die because the wages of sin is death, Romans 3. Uh, but the gift of God is right eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So that's, that's the whole purpose of the gospel is it, it allows me to say and to know, to be honest, right, that I'm, I really am so bad <laughs> that nothing, but, uh, nothing short of the death of the Son of God could save me. Like that's how bad I am. And yet I'm so loved that he did it gladly. Also from Romans, it gives you this actual self. Uh, when people talk about loving themselves and whatever, like this is the gospel gives you a self a view of yourself that is so unique to any. It's unique to religion. It's unique to science. It's unique to law. You know, it, it, yeah. in, in the regular world, if I'm doing really great, well, then I'm going to get really excited and proud of it and and brag about it. So I'm, I feel like I'm now superior over you, right? Uh, which gosh. I mean, every church I grew up around, whatever, like that's that's a thing that churches do really well. We're we're succeeding at all this stuff, and so we're going to make you feel really bad that you're not doing that great at it. Yeah. So that becomes
0: another form of salvation by works. How, how do you think we, how do you think that secular humanism has been so pervasive over the past several decades? Like there's been a a seismic shift in this ideology. It seems like, over the past 10 years and it's accelerated maybe even over the past five years. Like, is there, was there something that that happened Has it been a gradual fade, but like over the past decade or two, secular humanism has taken hold of America. Now I know this ideology was, has been pervasive in Europe for, you know, probably 20, 30 years before us, but it's like, it's setting in here in the U S Yeah, from our, uh, gosh, from our worldview,
1: right, from where we are, like, they invaded, I say they invaded, but, I mean, it's true. Like, around the 1900s, like, a a group of people that were um, considered the uh, socialist Marxist groups, Uh, and this is before, you know, Stalin had really arisen. This is early 1900s, you know, so there was, but at that point, socialism and Marxism were actually still theoretically, like, theoretical. They were starting to kind of get some... Well, when I people talk about socialism now, I'm completely befuddled. Right. Like, we did try this now. Like, in 1900, I can give you a little bit of a pass on it because... Uh, a new idea. Haven't, yeah, i tried it. Yet. Yeah. Yeah. And we're pretty, we pretty much know now. 120 this, years ago. Yeah, how this plays out. This is not, doesn't end well. But they started, um, and these groups um, started in, uh, in universities. Hmm. Um, and if you think about it, like, it even talks about it here. Okay, uh, yeah. Their thinking became futile. Like, this is Romans... Yeah. One, like you could actually look at the last century of our country and some of it we're going to talk about this coming Sunday. Uh, verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godless and wickedness of people who, and this is, the, this, this is who these people are. This is, this is Godlessness and wickedness are people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And so they began to suppress the truth, which, verse 19, what may be uh, known about God is plain to them because God made it plain, Right, But they ignored it and began to suppress it and take credit for it. I heard Tim Keller refer to this as, this is why people get mad about plagiarism. Because if you're plagiarizing my work, it's basically you taking my work and claiming that it's your work. Right. And and that's very much frowned upon in our world. And that's technically what this is, is saying I'm taking God's work and I'm going to make it my work and taking
0: credit for it. So I think it started there. Yeah. And then it's continued there. A hundred years in university, um, higher learning, think tanks across the country, uh, you know, a century's worth of ideology that's just snowballed. Yeah, there's a book um, that I've just started reading, and I haven't gotten terribly far into
1: it, called The American Covenant by Marshall Foster. Uh, Marshall's uh, actually just moved to Nashville from Northern California, and he's been hanging out at Conduit with us on Sundays. Uh, but but he actually goes back and and talks about the um, what was happening in these early with, of these organizations these groups that were then infiltrating into um, into universities yeah. and then by the way in, into in fact Malcolm Gladwell's revisionist history like yeah. two weeks ago there was an episode talking about uh, when the, when the communist hunt was happening and the blacklist of all the uh, was happening in, in Hollywood I'd actually never heard a stories about it before and. In, in, and he's, he's highlighting some people that I had never heard their names of before, but but he actually talks about that. It wasn't like that they weren't actually dabbling in communism and were being falsely accused. There were people that that was what they were doing. They were part of the communist party in the United States, and they were in um, media, yeah. in politics, and they were blacklisted and things, but, but but that infiltration began there, and to the point where it is now, which is, you know, the, the university system right now Especially private universities Or uh, the Ivy League, Princeton uh, I mean, it's it's Literally You can't even think right now You're being told what to think The uh, the, the latest Joe Rogan podcast mm. He's interviewing this girl who Escaped from North Korea Oh yeah,
0: I saw a couple of clips on that oh. I got to watch uh
1: one or two earlier this week if you put that on 1.7 speed okay because it's like three hours oh wow okay uh it takes about uh right an hour and 50 minutes okay but i I don't know if you know this what i've been doing but i'm on the treadmill i I call it bundling okay bundling right this is a new technique oh yeah you 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 heard it here first you kids try this at home um i hate (laughs) being on the treadmill It's boring but i love information so I won't let myself listen to something that I really want to listen to unless I'm on the treadmill with it. And if it's really good, then I'll end up walking on it uh, a little bit longer. And so this girl's name is Yomni Yeong- Park. She escapes from North Korea. Uh, and she uh, and the story is incredible. I've just got the book and I've just started it. And I can't even, it's a page her I'm about to neglect my family for oh, the next wow. few weeks I'm reading it. But she comes out of, this is a secular humanist society where she's like, I didn't even know what freedom was. Like we didn't, people aren't, like this is where the generation where she was like everybody's been uh, obliterated. So how do you fight for revolution? We don't even know what that means. Wow. But so she, but she escapes and she the story finds her way through China, uh, being sold into sex trafficking. But she finally finds herself at Columbia University after a series of events, and so she's finally found herself where she wants to be. Like I'm going to get an education. I'm going to, and she talks about that even in her broken English she doesn't know pronouns very well. And so she's being shamed by her classmates because she can't get the pronouns right. She's like, I can't get the pronouns right from a regular man and woman, so and I don't know they, them, their, I, you know. Wow. But she's saying that I'm coming here and I'm realizing that's all I was being told in North Korea. I'm being told what I can say, what I can't say, but more than that, I'm being told what I can think and what I can't think. Wow. And this girl who graduated from Columbia said, I will never send my children there. It is a waste of money um, to be told how to think. So the answer of when the secular started, mm. it started 120 years ago. And the battle over secular, it's, it's the battle between Sinai, according to Os Guinness, the, between Sinai and between Paris. The French Revolution, which is the godless, secular humanist one, and Sinai, which is what the Christian revolution of our country being founded, of people that sought religious freedom, have sought human dignity, that's the battle. And right now, it seems that the French Revolution seems to be at least winning the day as far as media and the platforms go, which is the godless, secular society.
0: Well, to that point, you, you kind of took us uh, to, to school on Sunday, with a little bit of a history lesson, was it too much? <laughs> no, no, it was much- great. Okay, well, there's moments that I'm—I I'm well, wish mean, honest. Like I'm looking at it going, God, this is like Sunday. They're probably—it's fine. I mean, if if, <laughs> if you've if you've spent any time here at Conduit, I mean, you kind of know what you're gonna get. So that's fair. It's not—that's on them if they didn't know that already. I mean, it's just—it is what it is. But it was super. Uh, it was super interesting. It was—it was—it was a—it was a—it uh, was, was a, a masterclass in in some history insight. That is playing out right now before our eyes. And this is an incredible find. It was like this little gem that you stumbled upon. <laughs> um, and you talk about Karl Barth that uh, was mentioned in Bonhoeffer's book. Yeah, that's right? where I first came across him, yeah. Yeah, which everybody knows the Dietrich Bonhoeffer book, of course, uh, written by Eric Metaxas. And he uh, talks about Karl Barth in, in the Barman Declaration. Yeah. In 1934, so almost 100 years ago, 90 years ago, yeah, give or take. What what was the Barman Declaration, and what so, was the impact? So the
1: society? Barman Declaration was um, 120 years ago, back in the early 1900s. The same thing was happening then that's happening now. So when we talked about the history repeating itself in 80-year cycles.
0: Yeah, when we went through what's true about God, yeah. we went through this 80-year cycle.
1: Yeah. So you go back to 1919. And Barth, there's uh, there's the Lutheran Church and there's the Confessing Church. Those were the two right. main of of Europe, and the Confessing Church would have been where Bonhoeffer. No, that's not so Bonhoeffer was actually I think came out of a Lutheran uh, background. Yes, but uh, but Barth was more of the Confessing, and and but the Lutherans were taking on a very liberal, progressive view of theology, which meant diminishing the Scriptures and the Word of God. We're seeing that happen right now in the Methodist denomination. Uh, Episcopalians, Presbyterians, like these giant denominations, and it really comes down to the very simple question of, is the Bible God's word? Or is it just the best they understood and now we know more so we can change it? That's literally as simple as it gets. And that's what they were experiencing in the early 1900s. And so Barth makes a case that this is dangerous, that this is the path that leads towards uh, relative truth. It leads towards totalitarianism and socialism and and so his answer to that was a commentary on the Book of Romans in 1919.
0: And this was important because he was in Germany.
1: Yes. He's a Swiss theologian in Germany uh, teaching, if I remember at a, at a university that's a con, uh, one of the part of the Confessing Church. So he writes this, and it causes a giant controversy because it basically puts us a line in the sand saying that uh, if you think that this is not God's word, you're, you're the problem. Uh, you're not the solution. So uh, he was considered, uh, and by the way, you can actually, when you look at his writings over 30 years, you can see his struggle with what does this mean for me? Mm. Um, I'm reading a book right now, Josh Baldwin. um, It's basically Barth Barth Bonhoeffer and Modern Politics. It's a guy out of Oxford. And he sort of goes along this line saying that you can watch his tension of should we say something now? Do I, or do I, you know, it's, and it was in Romans is where it's all coming wow. from was Romans, which is that whole, you know, what do we do with a government that is, mm. that is becoming totalitarian and uh, Romans, they were already a totalitarian, but ours isn't. What do we do about that? And so by 1934, uh, the, the, the bar Men declaration was written by Barth and signed, uh, by multiple Christian leaders. And it was a line in the sand because not all Christian leaders signed it saying, we will not have our churches co-opted by, a socialist uh, totalitarian Third Reich
0: and Nazis.
1: Yeah. And at that point, nobody saw the Nazis as dark and, and, you know, they they literally saw them as, you know, make Germany great again. Sure. That was,
0: that was actually their phrase.
1: Yes. Yes. (laughs) And I might add forward. Remember Obama's the the forward with the the arrows and Hillary. And it was like, it was a whole thing like uh, that. That's not new either. Yeah. Um, But it's in that environment that he's writing this, saying we're not going to let this. So, like for instance, for Conduit Church, do you remember when we were trying to make the decision whether we were going to take the PPP loans?
0: Yes, about a year ago.
1: So about a year ago, we had no idea what our future was. Uh, They're shutting the country down. They're shutting the world down, and the government is offering uh, grants in the form of loans, and the. The point was, you know, should we take this money just in case because we don't have to lay anybody off i mean i don't I don't want to lay anybody off. I like, but man, we just couldn't i couldn't you couldn't remember we were back and forth on it, but we landed on it. We are not going to take this money because we're not going to let the government have a hook right in us, all due respect to other churches that that did that. I just, for me, for us, I felt like, and I know Mo did, and actually we had 100% agreement, passionate agreement from our elders. We are not going to let the government have a hook in us. We don't want them involved in us, and we don't want to be involved in them, and that felt like a very clear delineation We're not taking their money yeah. that was like our barman declaration right. <laughs> so so his barman declaration was in 1934 and by the way by 1938 if i remember right he is now like you can see his writing come from hey we're just going to withhold and it was almost like he was viewing uh, uh christianity in the church as like a twenty thousand foot view over the top of it also not getting down into the weeds of it but uh, but staying over it, but you could feel the tension begin to change when he was in 1938. Some of his writings, the, uh, theology today, actually that was 1933. Something was written in 1938. You can watch the, him move the line of, uh, no, we need to be speaking about this. We need to be talking about this publicly. We need to, because that's a tension we still feel. You know, somebody was upset with us on Sunday. You know, we th- um, one of the uh, the complaints and the criticisms of Sunday was that you guys uh used to be more about the word of god and you kind out of kept out of politics and 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 now i feel like you're changing and in, in a fairness maybe we are changing but i'm looking at it that you can't separate this from politics you can't separate this from uh from truth and so the book of romans leads us to that of like look romans 1 the first few verses where we 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 covered this week and we're about to cover verses eighteen through thirty or whatever it is the last few verses like that's a pretty big line in the sand of of what we believe, and I don't apparently you can't talk about gender without it being political that's I'm not making it political, right whether my boy has a unit or not is that's not political that just happened like there was a stem on the apple, nobody <laughs> voted for that when he was born. It just happened. Uh, and I have girls that just had an apple There wasn't a stem Like I was just think that's, that's bio- you know, biology um, So I'm not making that political I'm just making it about the truth versus a lie
0: Yes, and when we are sitting in it as a culture And hearing about it all week long It feels a bit disingenuous to not uh, address it on a Sunday It
1: feels cowardly, doesn't it? Like it feels like we could not say that and nobody will bother us and nobody's going to tweet mean things about me and we could play the music a little louder while the cattle cars go by and the Jews, and I know that sounds like hyperbolic, hyperbolic language, but the, the, the truth is, is this. The fair argument would be that for the most part, people right now in the progressive wing of the, of the society are not interested in a totalitarian regime controlling, okay? Let's say it's 10% or 20%, like a small percentage. But if, if, if this needle shifts in politics, are the nice ones and the 80% going to be the ones that, that control this? Or is it going to be the 20%? I can tell you what history tells us. Sure. You know, the vast majority of people that voted for Hitler into office did not vote for him because of his totalitarian tendencies. But the 20 or 10% that did, they won the day. Yeah. Uh, and what... Barth later did and there's a lot of things in Barth's theology that I probably wouldn't I know I wouldn't subscribe to but man he when he writes in 1945 like a post-mortem on the last 10 years of the church yeah he had some pretty serious indictments against the church for for being quiet for not for letting it happen was his words
0: well I'm I'm, I pull it up on on wiki you can you can do the same if you're listening just search barman declaration he has six he has six items that are part of the declaration, and they're not. Uh, they're very. They're very foundational. They're very basic. They're. They're almost seem obvious of of something that you would want to declare. <laughs> the number one is the source of revelation is only the word of God. That's the first one. Yeah, it sounds a lot like Acts two forty two. <laughs> right, and and parenthetically, like that for years and years. In fact, if
1: you're a little bit older and you listen to this, you might think, well, that's just a no brainer. But the fact is right now that the entirety of progressive theology of progressive Christians and to people who may not even consider themselves that uh, they would not say that the source of revelation is the word of God. Right. right. Um, that's a big freaking yeah. deal. Yeah. Uh, and 120 years ago is a big deal. And here we are. Eight, you know, history is repeating itself back to being a big deal.
0: Yes. Number two, Jesus Christ is the only Lord of all aspects of personal life. There should be no other authority. That sounds reasonable in our Christian faith.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it sounds reasonable. And by the way, not a bad way to live, especially if the guy that died for you, the guy that, like, gave his life
0: for you, like, that's not a bad exchange for that, you know, living for him. Number three, the message and order of the church should not be influenced by the current political convictions. Mm. This is 120 years ago, right? This sounds like... But it could be written today. A creed that was written in the past Right. four months. The church should not be ruled by a leader or a fuhrer or a president.
1: It can, and I would like to comment on that because uh, in Germany... I don't know if you know this or not. Part of the tax dollars of Germans goes towards the quote-unquote national church in Germany. And if you talk to the average German citizen they resent Christianity or the church because they don't want their tax dollars going to pay for this stuff. Interesting. And so the church itself, now I don't know how that works. Like if we were to go plant a conduit in Germany, I don't think we automatically get a piece of the action but at the same time, there's no expectation for us to give to the church. It's just literally like a government service that's paid for, just like parking, uh, and stop signs. And so there's a resentment to it. So that the, even though Hitler lost the war, that still exists really in it. So wow. it's their version of a PPP loan in Germany.
0: Well, it, in, so number five of this declaration a little bit addresses this and saying the state should not fulfill the task of the church and vice versa. Which, again, is Acts 2.42, that we would be, uh, that we would serve one another, the church would gather and meet the needs of the least of these. Right. There's a, a real true thing that you can find that it is readily available um, online
1: that um, Democrat politicians are less generous than Republican ones. Interesting. So, like, you Google Joe Biden's giving records. Sure. Google Obama's, President Obama's, and... And it's funny because after President Obama won, they, you know, they they release his giving records and he's like completely embarrassed by it. And so he he starts giving political reasons. Right. But here's the thing. That's actually an intellectually honest approach for them. Like I can shame them all day long, but they want the they want us to pay more taxes and they want the government to take care of taking care of the poor and the weak and the vulnerable for us from a Christian side. So I don't think it's a Republican versus uh, Democrat as much as it is a Christian versus uh, non-Christian view of it, but I would just say that when people are like, hey, don't make it political, I'm not making it political, I'm just showing you what the numbers show.
0: right?
1: And that conservatives or Christians tend to give more because I'm not looking for the government to give me the handout. Uh, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't count on that. I don't even, you know, I lived on that growing up and it's not even a great way to live, but, I, but the church, on the other hand, mm. which, by the way, is the way most of the world goes. I can be mad at the Ugandan government for not taking care of the poor and the vulnerable and maybe there's a case we be made that they should, but the fact of the matter is the church is there are taking care of it and so when it says the church be the church and the state be the state i mean you i've said that how many times around here i am not interested in letting the government tell us what a ministry of the church is and is not which is why we didn't want to take their money Uh, let them do their thing the the separation that exists i I don't want them involved in any of our decision making uh
0: at all which is point number six therefore the barman declaration (laughs) rejects the subordination of the church to the state yeah this was an act of rebellion some of the
1: pastors that would not have signed this or christian leaders that did not sign this would have done so because of the great cost that it would have given to them in fact the uh, i think it's the theology today piece that he wrote in 1933 was ultimately banned uh now 37,000 copies were out there before it was banned but hitler stopped it because it was a, uh, a statement against totalitarianism a statement against uh, the government controlling it and, and, and it was banned. And I would think, you know, in the same way right now, there are things happening in our world. They may not be banned by the government yet, but they're sure as heck being banned by social media platforms. Yeah. And, you know, we are. It's frustrating to me because I don't I can't think of a single government power that was given to the government by for somebody in office that then was given back by the next guy or girl. Yeah. They keep that and then they add more to it so this whole thing right now i mean you watch the president's spokesperson say that yeah we're actually in touch with facebook and telling them what is problem information she Mm. didn't say what was true or false she said what's problem information right? or some phrase like that it wasn't about true or false it was problematic information and the fact is right now Me believing that, you know, a a man born in a man's body should not be competing in an athletic event against women because he thinks he's a woman is problematic information. And that's the kind of stuff that can get shut down in a society where there's no more truth with it. So, you know, this Barman Declaration, I mean, this it didn't like Hitler didn't start with Jews and cattle cars. He started with we're going to make our country great again. And then he goes down to the road of we got to figure out how these people that are making it bad, we got to get rid of them. We got to marginalize them. We got to, you know, uh, almost every one that I can think of anyway, when you think about a dictator or a, a politician, whatever, they always start out with the idea that we're doing something really good for our society. But you, you know, you jerks that didn't agree and cooperate got in the way. So we had to do something with it. So the church then was ostracized and obviously Bonhoeffer himself was executed along with many, many, many Christian leaders, were executed. And, you know, we're not there yet in our society. Uh, there are many societies where they're there. But, I mean, th- I, I would suppose in 1934, maybe uh, maybe Barth didn't think we were going that direction. You know, maybe Bonhoeffer
0: didn't. Yeah. Um, it's, it's the natural descent of uh, of mankind. And we bring this up because like you said a minute ago, history repeats itself. And can you go through that 80 year cycle again? The four yeah, 20 yeah. year cycles?
1: Yeah. The, uh, the Strauss how theory, right? Yes. Which is that uh, history repeats itself in 80 year cycles. Um, and each side of inside of each 80 years is a 20 year cycle, uh, which starts with the prophet, right? The, 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 the person who is arising, there's hard times. And out of that hardened, hard, strong men arise from that. And they call them the prophets. So the biblical idea would be Joseph, uh, Abraham, whatever. Uh, and then it goes the, the next 20 years. And the reason they say this in 20 years, by the way, cycles, is that when you reach your 40s is kind of when you have maximum influence between 40 and 60 years old. Yeah. So, you know, right now Micah has minimal influence in this world. Um, Darren has more because I'm 50. You know, more people are listening to me now than when I was 30. So uh, so those 20-year cycles, that's where it comes from. And when so uh, the next one is the, the nomad in that cycle, which is the 20 uh, – when the nomads are coming out of the hard people, they're the ones, uh, these strong men, the, the prophets have created and spoken of vision, and so the nomads are the ones that have sort of extended out and began to make it happen. Um, so think Churchill to John F. Kennedy.
0: yeah,
1: uh, And then from there come uh, the heroes, the ones that, hey, we've we finally got some stability in this in this cycle, so now the, the hero's gonna rise and it's in this prosperity and this stability. Uh, think Reagan, right, more than Jimmy Carter. Um, it's morning in America. <laughs> uh, and, that, and that's 20 years. Uh, that, that cycle is about creating really good times in it. Uh, and then out of that become the artists, which are, I hate, I honestly hate that they use that word since we live in Nashville. Artists? Yeah, because it just, you know, I, I know some really strong artists, but they use that word for, you know, they're the creatives. They didn't really have a lot of hardness in their life, so they didn't have anything to make them strong. And so the artists. Uh, you know think Bill Clinton um, come along and they're they're smooth talkers and but they're not you know it's what we have right now the people in power right now for the most part are the artists who are the weak men the weak women uh, who don't want to cause anything to ruffle we don't want to offend anybody again back to Yomi Park she was talking about like uh, we we can't say this because it will quote trigger you and she was just she thought the idea of being triggered was absolutely hilarious to her like I literally was surviving by eating grasshoppers and you're triggered because I said she instead of he, like she does no wheelhouse for that at all. But that's the the 80 year cycle because those weak men, weak women uh, are creating the hard times that we're currently, I think we're currently in. I don't think anybody would have any argument right now that globally right now that there are hard times happening. And the only question is, is what profit arises? Is it a profit from China? with an agenda that is godless secular humanist or is it a prophet from sinai right with a, a godly ideology that can bring us back into another cycle of of uh, good times
0: so romans is timeless i mean we've just <laughs> talked about that Sorry. that was your first point and here we are <laughs> Romans is also universal. That was your second point. I haven't even had coffee this afternoon. I know, right? But you're on fire. I love it. I came into this thing. I didn't have anything to say today. But Romans is universal as well. Not universalism.
1: Right. Universal. Yeah, which is critical because right now universalism says that everybody's saved. That's what Michael Gunger thinks. Everybody's saved. Um, And I have actually some good friends that that, that think that. And as much as I love that on paper... uh, I actually don't like that because you know what? There's a thing called justice that God is a God of justice and he is a God of mercy and all those things. But if, if I decide that I don't want to receive his mercy, which was given through Christ, which meant a price was paid now for my crime. Um, and I want to stand there on my own that I'm going to have to be judged based upon, according to my sin, my crimes and universalism says that everybody gets in and it's just you certainly can't again that's why you got to throw out romans for this that's why you know whether it's stan mitchell or brian mclaren or rob bell or richard Rohr, you won't find them quoting romans very much right because it it doesn't allow for that and candidly even when they start quoting stuff out of corinthians whatever i'm like why are you even quoting the bible at all because if you don't believe that it's god's word or it's inspired then how do i you know this is just like i might as well quote from ayn rand or (laughs) <laughs> uh, and I guess they do. I mean, they, you know, Rumi is one of the uh, Islamic poets that they quote a lot. He, he, that's a clue that you're getting onto a, a progressive theologian or a progressive Christian or whatever is if they start quoting Rumi, uh, who is a, a Muslim poet from like the Middle Ages, But, anyway, um, but in this world, uh, the Universalist says we're all saved, and the fact is, is uh, I don't want that. I want justice too. Yeah. And that's what Romans promises us. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, not through my own efforts. Mm-hmm. And it's really, it solves the greatest problem in, in history, which is how can I be saved uh, by being by being good enough when I just am not? That My best day, I'm still. And you see this when you read people's Instagram posts who are into uh, more liberal thinking and whatever. They're, they're like, oh, today I had a hard day and I, I, I lost my cool with my kid and I'm just being real out here, which is all true. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. But dead it, like who's going to pay for the crime that you just committed against your child for losing your crap? Mm. Um, just because you got on here and were really sorry about it on Instagram, you still injured him, You still harmed right. your child. You still wounded him, just like I did. Just like, and so who pays for that? Yeah. And the answer is, is Christ will pay for that. And he's going to save my child, not me. Um, and it does, you know. People from that side, especially
0: Islam, like Muslims, they get really mad because they are like, well, then why would you even try at all? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. So when when folks hear this for the first time in Northern Africa, yeah, yeah, I mean, what's their response?
1: Yeah, so they're
0: <laughs> it's yeah. the, the the couscous story is what always comes. Yeah, out, yeah. I mean. Well, you get you know you're getting warm <laughs> with a Muslim. You know you're getting
1: warm. Like you're you're actually they're understanding when they get mad. Because it's like, oh, that's not fair at all. That's not fair. And the couscous story is that you know, uh, for uh, at the end of, the, of the, uh, Islam teaches at the end of your life there are these two scales, and you, the good works on one and your bad works on the other. And as long as there's one more good work than bad work, then you'll make it into eternity, uh, with with uh, with Mo, uh, Allah and Muhammad and and the virgins and the whole production. Um, <laughs> but one bad one and you're eternally damned. One more. So couscous uh, counts as each cous is a is a work so is it like rice or beans yeah it's a it's like a grit of something okay. I, I texturally i'm not 100% sure <laughs> texture like i get some texture issues with it but they serve it so you got to eat it uh, but you get like one little and it's like a little grit like it's just tiny little like Grain. granule, you know so if I, one potato is one work but like each couscous so i could literally have like a thousand good works with a with a pool of couscous wow versus one potato one work so that's their their weighting of it but when it comes to uh, earning my way into it uh, it's really an exhausting way. like you don't know. you'll never know until you die whether it is, which parenthetically is why it was easier and why they recruit uh, when I say they radical Islamic terrorists uh, quote from slums, they, they they recruit from the poorest parts of whether it's Morocco. I mean two, of the, uh, one of the attackers from 911 was Moroccan or two. You'll find Moroccan terrorists uh, usually it's like Saudi Arabia, Afghan, and then like one random Moroccan is in there but they recruit them from like the slums around uh, Casablanca or Rabat. Mm. And the reason is, is that they have done so many bad things that they don't think they'll ever have a way into heaven. But the one guarantee is if I could die in jihad as a martyr, then I'm guaranteed. And so that, that draw is very powerful for, uh, for for being saved by works with it. But in in the kingdom of God, the the, the power of the gospel is that I'm never going to be good enough with it. And, so Christ's salvation for me is is my it restores me to my relationship with God, but it does not, on the other hand, uh, absolve me of the consequences of my sins. And so where I would say a guy like Jordan Peterson is right is that making your bed is not a bad thing. There's consequences for living like a slob, right? There are consequences for lying to my wife. I'm saved. The punishment of my sin for eternity is taken care of but the consequences are not and so the reason that i try and the reason that romans 6 and 7 starts to talk about the power over sin is that i need that power uh the the same power that raised christ from the dead romans 8 uh dwells in you verse 14 i think um to to, to overcome it because you know what i don't want to hurt my wife's feelings I, i mean i every day i do uh, probably multiple times a day. My wife is all feelings and I'm all head. And uh, boy, that's, uh, that's a lot of fun. I'll tell you that. It's a scene at our house. But, uh, but that part of it is forgiven. But I, I would say that in my transformation as a believer that I, am, I hurt her feelings less now than I did 27 years ago. Because I'm growing in Christ, every day I'm turning up, and I'm a little more. I think Bob Goff's thing. I just want to be a little bit more, the next most humble version of Bob. Yeah. That's his line. Yeah. Uh, so today I want to be the next more most humble version of Darren. And 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 when I fail, I am I'm saved by grace. And Romans eight one, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Um, is an answer to that. The the trick is um, the ultimate thing, especially about the the universal part of this, is this that. Um, It's when I quit trying to struggle with sin. Like when I just tap out and say, This is who I am. This is how I was made. Hmm. Um, I'm throwing in the white flag. So, Paul in Romans 7, all it is is, man, why do I do the things I don't want to do? Again, timeless, that's everybody. Universal, that's everybody. Why did I lose my crap again? Why did I do this again? Uh, and then he goes on to say, but there's no, no condemnation. He, I think chapter 7 at the very end is when he says, who will save me from this wretched body of right. sin? <laughs> I've had some moments like that. Um, and thank God through Christ Jesus our Lord, right? And there's therefore now no condemnation. So it's, the, the penalty is all taken care of, and the power of it is then to, uh, to hurt people less, to be less separated from my children, less separated from people around me because I've, I am being transformed. Uh, from the inside out, not from the outside
0: in. And your last point on Sunday was that Romans is personal, Um, that we can be encouraged by one another's faith, Um, that when they gathered together and when they were working together, um, that they would be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Yeah, Paul wrote this to his friends. Yeah, like Aquila we to, and
1: Priscilla. Like, I'm honestly trying to figure out what I'm going to do when I get to Romans 16. Because, like, the first 15, 16 verses is him just saying, hey, say hello to Mo for me. Tell Micah, how, ask how Micah's doing. Yeah. Tell Gabe I'm doing this. Tell, it's literally every verse is like some friend of his, yeah. Aquinas. But the, but the point is, is that this wasn't like some ethereal thing out there. This was like a letter to his friends mm. uh, among who were Aquila and Priscilla, who he yeah. met, who had been expelled from Rome. Um, and the idea that In in that idea of that this isn't just for some sermon on a Sunday, that this is for Tuesday afternoon in Darren's living room or in Darren's parenting, that this gospel, uh, it it, it affects everything and every way that I live my life. That if I am saved by grace and not by works, right? If I am not my child's savior, I I parent differently, um, and by the way, uh, when I blow it as a parent, I can go, I, I rest in that as well. Like, okay, but I'm not my kid savior. I'm not going to be the first perfect parent in the history of parenting. Um, and so there's no condemnation for me. And at the same time I am dead to sin and I don't have to, you know what I mean? It's like that yeah. perfect balance of it. Yeah. So I don't have to just give in and say, well, I'm just a jerk. And I just, you know, people with anger problems uh, oftentimes will say, I just who I am man. I'm just honest. I'm just real blunt. Like, when you're kind of, kind of kind of a jerk. Like, is really what you are. Like, you really need to, you know, right. work on that anger thing with you. Is the same sin. If I were to say that, look, I just think I like really beautiful women. That's just how I'm wired. And I, you know, sorry, Shannon, I'm I'm going to go on a little adventure. Yeah, that doesn't work. No, no, it doesn't work. Uh, and God designed us in a specific way, so I can I can overcome the power of that through the gospel, overcome the penalty of it, and and then at the same time, there's a, a rest and a healing from. Um, from
0: the consequences to, to those around me. Quick question, a little bit of a sidebar. I know we're going to wrap up here in a second, but we're, we're battling progressive Christianity here in the United States. Is there such a thing as progressive Islam, and what does that look like? Yeah, it's not as exciting, though. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's cause,
1: cause here's what I hear. You'll hear people say, well, Muslims are peaceful people, right? Muslims are this or Muslims are that. And the question is, which Muslims are you talking about? right. Right, uh, because you're not talking about Muhammad. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh but there are uh, even in our own community right now. You'll find um uh, the coexistence, the coexist bumper stickers. Yeah. You know, and there is a there is an Islamic yeah the moon, uh, moon on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh so there. But here's the thing, it, and just like in Christianity, I can say this about Islam. If you don't believe, if you're a Muslim and you do not believe that Muhammad is the only way, right? If you do not believe that Allah right is god you are not a muslim not not according to the quran you're right. not you whatever else you created like because people can say like when i hear people say well the jesus that i follow is this and the jesus I, like where did you get that from yeah um because you sure as i didn't get it from the bible and at least be intellectually honest enough to say that i'm pretty sure this is what it is because i don't like the way the bible wrote this there's no writings anyplace else right from this right like galileo did not write scripture or even anything close to it this is what we have for writings yeah of what jesus said and did and the quran and i'll give men credit to muslim faith you uh an english version of the quran is technically not viable uh arabic is the way it was written mm. and one of their interesting apologetics against us so like they're josh mcdowell right right you know uh <laughs> Uh, would say that the Americans, if you're a Christian, you can't even trust your Bible because you don't know whether you have the right translation. There's all these translations, and they're, you know, they're all wrong, and they're all full of errors, and all full of. And so, but they, 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 as far as a good Islamic Muslim, you won't find as many in the progressive world, because for the they will they will even say that like the only Bible that we should trust, only like Quran is, is Arabic. Um, which is why Arabic is such a pervasive language around the world, and if you're a young person looking to go into linguistics, my daughter, Ashley Tyler, and you're looking for a career, I would suggest either Chinese or Arabic because those languages are, yeah, Mandarin, are uh, the most pervasive in the world, but yeah, you won't find that much. Um,
0: So it's probably more um, radical Islam than progressive Islam, as far as the, the spectrum.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, so interesting. So our buddy in North Africa, One of the ways that he ultimately came to Christ, uh, he told me this. He said that most of my Muslim friends, including myself, um, didn't know that much about the Quran. We sort of took everything at face value. And so I started, he said, the only way out of Islam was deeper into Islam. Interesting. Yeah. And he said that when I got there, and I can't say his name because I'll get him killed. um, The way I got there, we call him Cleo, which is like his Christian name. but Anyway. was uh, I, I? I went deep, and I, this is actually a funny story. I, it's, he was there was a Christian radio station broadcasting into Morocco, and so he would write. He got so angry he was listening to the radio. It was like nineteen ninety. He writes a letter, like a physical letter. Yeah. So it'd be like I don't know Oral Roberts, whoever. Uh, it wasn't Oral Roberts. Uh, you know, telling him why this is so awful, and he gets it. was probably an automated letter for all I know. In response, right, encouraging him to, you know, read deeper, or whatever. This ongoing correspondence between this radio ministry and Cleo took him so deep into Islam that he said, "I finally came to the point where I realized either I was either going to be a terrorist or a Christian, but there was no middle ground." There. Oh, wow! Because he said, "The deeper I went into Islam, the more I realized that jihad. That, uh, uh, and it's true. The end of you know the, the Savior that we serve." has holes in his hands, holes in his side, holes in his feet from the where he was stabbed for us, pierced for us, because he loves us. Muhammad left holes in everybody that didn't believe. He was stabbing them in the side. He was stabbing them through the heart. Like, jihad was literally part of Muhammad's business model. Yeah. So it wasn't like he, you know, you could look at Muhammad and say, that's a really loving guy. That's why the word love does not appear in the Quran but you sure see obedience uh, and submission. Um, but you you know, you know could say Muhammad loves me, but I don't know how you prove it. Because um, I would think what you would say is that Muhammad uh, loves me as long as I obey him. Otherwise, he's going to kill me, uh, infidels. We, we, we're infidels in, in, in the Quran, we are. So anybody that doesn't get that, that I'd say they just aren't very good. Um, they're not very good Muslims, according
0: to the Quran anyway. Very interesting. No, I just thought it was an interesting question knowing what we're faced with here in the United States, uh, with Christianity and progressive Christianity, I was curious kind of what that spectrum looks like elsewhere. Um, the fact of the matter is we are in culture war and we know that much. And I think that's why, uh, we've been so, um, determined and strategic in our sermon series over the past several months Yeah, and especially like we started out at the beginning of this podcast, especially into the book of Romans to set up some theological guardrails, um, to teach these things on a Sunday and invite folks into, uh, reading the scriptures, especially as it pertains to exactly what our theology is. And it allows us to put a flag in the ground and which you did Sunday. I mean, we, there were some flags placed into the ground as to what we believe as a church. Um, and in using the book of Romans to help kind of guide us through this conversation.
1: But you know, doesn't it feel weird to you that, like, I feel like I taught through Romans 10 years ago, and it wasn't controversial then. No. No, not at all. Right? Not at I don't all. remember even thinking about hurting, and I, we did have somebody get offended and leave because I was teaching Romans, which, I, you know, it kind of caught me off guard. But, you know, 10 years ago, it was one family. But, like, now to stand up and say things, like, I, I think that people don't really fully appreciate that that it, it wasn't always this way. Yeah. And it just like, we switched some stuff real quickly. There are things now like in the office, a show that we all love, uh,
0: that they couldn't make that show now. No. And, and since then, actually the writers have apologized for okay. Of course they have. Yeah. They, I mean, this is over the past maybe year or so. The writers have that. came out and apologized for, I didn't even know that. Uh, for kind of the, you know, the way that it was written and how offensive. Yeah it was <laughs> but so think about that this is another reason why romans is so important and so yeah. timeless is that when
1: you're trying to follow culture as your guide of truth you can't keep up with it yeah not at all i can't keep up with that It literally something that was not offensive a year ago is offensive today yeah and it just continues that way so right now people like are apologizing like when we saw the episode when he had phyllis dressed as santa claus right and he called her tranny claus we all laughed and guffawed that was the most funny thing ever and he they couldn't say that now right because it's considered offensive, but it wasn't that twelve years ago. But nobody, like nobody, sent the notice out. Like we didn't get like an official, you know, amber alert. But for uh, language that you right. can't say that anymore. Um, but w- when culture makes the rules, we can't follow culture. Which is why the Bible, why Romans, is yes. so timeless. That yes. this, these are very simple principles that exist from time immemorial till t- t- today, and since before. And I would rather have a standard that holds to that than one that I'm constantly wondering, am I gonna get like canceled in twenty years because of something I said when I was fifteen?
0: Yeah, I mean the, the the analogy that I keep coming back to uh, for me is, you know, are we building our house on the rock or on sinking sand? <laughs> yeah, maybe Jesus knew something. You know, it's it's what a weird thought. It's the perfect parable for culture versus the kingdom. And we as a church, we are building our house, uh, on the rock, on the rock of Christ. And, uh, it's a firm foundation. It's proven over and over and over again, hmm. which has led us to this series. And we're really excited. So this, this week we'll be going into kind of the back half of Romans chapter one, starting with verse 18. So if you're listening, listening to this, uh, the week of, uh, August 8th into the 15th, we have, you have some homework, um, read the back half of Romans chapter one this week as you head into Sunday and, uh, We're going to kind of hit some things head on um, for the back half of that, and there's just a lot to get into, and we're just excited that we have folks that are joining in with us. We've got a lot of response since Sunday, Uh, a lot of folks that are just excited to dive in deep into what all of this means, especially uh, knowing that these folks are having conversations. All of us are having conversations with friends and family kind of about what we believe right now. Uh, across the board yeah and to kind of know what others are learning and what others are believing uh, in a in a church family helps encourage us like it says at the uh, romans chapter 1 verses 11 like we just read um, that we can be encouraged with one another's faith through this yeah and boy do we need that more than ever and i'll tell you this um
1: i heard from friends from our message cuz you know the people that were upset with me on Sunday and there weren't that many I don't want to make it sound like I'm being martyred or anything but the people that uh, were upset with me they were putting a very American lens on it but you know I heard from a guy in Myanmar I heard a guy from a guy in Iraq heard from a guy in Nepal and they're all on fire for this series because they're in wow yeah like they're they you know they read this stuff differently and we would be uh, we would do well to listen to them and
0: follow their lead in this it's good you can always find us um, at anywhere you listen to a, a podcast, obviously. You're listening to it now. But you can always <laughs> catch up to previous episodes. Just scroll up or down, depending on how you have it set up, and catch up on previous episodes, previous sermon series. You can watch uh, our services on YouTube. Just search Conduit Church, of course. And then any information you could possibly know about Conduit Church, you can find it at our web ser- website, ConduitChurch.com. We'll see you next week.